Hey, that was a good one, huh? I tell you, I have uh, I have just come off probably the worst week of my life, and uh, that song was very encouraging. And so the rest of the service, I'm going to do my best not to make eye contact with my wife, so we can make it through this. Okay, <laughs> not because of anything about her, but uh, she'll start crying and I'll start crying too. Um, most of you guys know my grandmother passed away. I tell you, every time I preach a sermon that you think might hit you. Uh, God hits me or Satan hits me twice as much the next week. Uh, God says you don't, uh, or Satan says you don't want to preach a prosperity gospel. How's following God when this happens? And the week went from bad to worse. Uh, started on Tuesday and things just kind of trickled further and further downhill. Uh, but I tell you, the promises of God are always true. And my grandmother, while we miss her, a song like that is encouraging. Because uh, she was a frilly lady, and for her to have a mansion that's gold and silver lined is right up her alley. And so I'm sure that Cadillac she used to drive is now uh, have gold rims and all kinds of other cool stuff on it. So anyways, I am, uh, I'm grateful for you guys and your, uh, your phone calls and some of you who came out. Uh, you guys truly make our family uh, feel like family here, and we appreciate it more than you'll ever imagine. And so in lieu of Baptist Men's Day, uh, I want to preach a sermon, uh, not out of the book of Matthew, but I want to preach a sermon geared towards real men. Uh, and you might think, okay, real men. If you were to watch television uh, in any sort of maybe quote-unquote manly show, you would get the vibe that if you can catch fish and you can shoot animals and you can somehow trick a pretty gal into marrying you, you have got this thing figured out as the ideal man. And Scripture says something completely contradictory to that. Uh, there's still a, you still want to marry a pretty gal, okay? But uh, the details that it takes to be a real man are, uh, are found in Scripture. And so what I want to do is I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we can put our faith in you. We can put our faith in your promises. And Father, that you never break them. That you keep every single jot and every single tittle of your word. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Father, as we enter this time of preaching, I pray that you would convict our hearts. I pray that you would convict our minds. And Lord, I pray that we as men would leave here more like Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we take these scriptural truths and apply them to our lives as men, I pray that the women would also take heed to these things and become better women as well. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are going to start in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And the first thing that I want to tell you about men, and this is going to kind of encompass everything that we talk about. I'm going to make sure I get it right. Real men, real men live their lives in such a way that they inspire those around them to be better people. Real men live in such a way that the men around them are inspired to be better men as a result of that individual. You hear that? That doesn't say this, 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 and this. What this says is that a real man lives in such a way that he is inspiring to those around them and inspires them to be better people, oftentimes without even saying a word about it. 
And you guys probably all have people that come to mind in your life that have inspired you through the years and they haven't sat you down and told you certain things. They were just naturally inspiring people in and of themselves and you wanted to be a better person as a result of being around that person. Everybody have those people in their life? All right, good deal, good deal. So here we go, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews has just finished walking you through all of these people who have kept the faith and been, excuse me, and standed firm on Christ or looking forward to Christ. And so he walks through all these people. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, he says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And so he says, I've kind of set the stage for you. You have this big arena full of chapter 11 we call the heroes of the faith and so he's he set all of these people out and he says since all of those people are watching us let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so there's a couple things that I want to pull out here first. One of the first things that you need to do if you want to be a real man is this. You need to set aside every encumbrance. Now, if you were to look up encumbrance in a thesaurus and you were to find some words that were synonymous with encumbrance, this is what you would find. Lay aside every encumbrance, lay aside every hindrance, every obstruction, every obstacle, every impediment, every constraint, every handicap, every inconvenience, every nuisance, every disadvantage and every drawback. And so the, the first step to being a real man is to set all of that stuff aside. And so you know what Paul or or the author of Hebrews is saying here? Quit with the excuses. Lay it all aside. None of that stuff matters. Everything that's holding you back, every excuse you can think of, every handicap, every impediment, all of that stuff, set it aside and run the race set before you. There are no excuses that real men make. Real men are overcomers and they set everything aside and they follow Christ regardless of anything. If I'm around people, I won't do this to you, but if I'm around younger people and I ask them to do a task and they come to me with a bunch of excuses, it's, ah, no, stop, stop, time out, don't, don't say anything else. I don't care about anything you're saying right this minute. Just do the job that you were given to do. But I got, no, that doesn't matter. Do the job that you were given. But I got, I don't care. Do the job. Any of you guys have a supervisor like that? Didn't it make you a stronger individual? You overcome and you do what you've got to do. And so here, if you men, if you want to be a real man, you set aside all of that stuff. You quit making excuses because none of your excuses matter. I would give you what dad said about excuses, but you all know that already, right? Okay, so we'll keep going. So set aside everything, everything, all the encumbrances and the sin 
which so easily entangles us. And so a real man is going to set aside all of his excuses. and He's going to focus on Christ so that he can run the race. But in order to run the race, you've got to set aside all of the, the sin and all of the encumbrances. And so if you are here and you want to be a real man, you set aside all of the sin in your life. Don't hold on to any of it. You set it aside so that you can run the race that Christ has for you. You see, you cannot run a race if you have things hanging off of you. You can't. And so the imagery here that you're getting is back in their day, they wore these, um, we would kind of call them like a toga, that um, somewhat like a dress. And what they would do is they would take it and they would pull it up and they would wrap it around their waist so that they could run. Because you can't run in a long garment. You don't see, well, when you do see ladies running in long dresses, oftentimes it results in them tripping, right? And so these men are going to have to, they get this imagery where you're pulling up, you're girding your waist, and you're, you're getting rid of anything that's going to entangle your feet, and you run. That's why runners, when they run long races, they wear short shorts, so they don't get all tangled up in everything. Okay, And so if you want to be a real man, you stop making excuses. You set aside your encumbrances, and you leave behind any sin in your life that you know of. You don't keep a secret closet full of sin. You leave it all behind if you truly want to experience real manhood. And then what you do is you run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so you don't just kind of meander to and throw to and fro in life here and there. No. You start when you make a decision to follow Christ and you run the race non-stop following after Christ. And you run and you stay on the course no matter where that takes you. And you don't get off the course, but you follow Christ. And you run. You don't walk. You run. Listen, life is too short. And there are, there are too many lost people that need to hear the gospel for us to walk and to leisurely skip through this Christian life. We need to be people who set aside the excuses, who set aside our sin, and we run the race following Christ wherever he leads us, doing whatever he calls us to do. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we have to do all of this focusing on Christ. And this is ridiculous to do because it's incredibly hard. You can pay Thirty, fifty, a hundred dollars a month, and they will stream several hundred or thousand channels into your living room for you to watch to distract you from setting your eyes on Christ and following Him. And then if you stop watching those channels and you say, well, I'm just going to watch the Christian channels, you see the pitfall that we ran into last week of they'll stream people into your house that are going to distract you from following Christ in the name of Christ. And so you have to, you have to get very serious following the Jesus that this Bible describes because life is too short to do anything else. And listen, I just yesterday packed up some of my grandma's sentimental things. And I love my grandma just as much as any of you love any of your family members that you've ever had. And no matter who you are in life, your precious things are going to be carted away in a cardboard box. Life is too short to do anything other than fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race set before you. 
Because all of your stuff, a lot of people don't want. And it's probably going to be auctioned off somewhere. And so don't live your life distracted by all of the things around you. Fix your eyes on Christ. This is what real men do. And they run after Christ, no matter where that takes them. And they do it not entangled in sin and not making excuses the whole time. Amen? Number two. Matthew chapter 18. If you're going to do that, if you're going to live the life I just explained to you, it's not going to be easy. And you probably haven't read that in a book either. Because I've told you that those things don't sell books. If you're going to live that life that I just described to you, you're going to have conflict in your life. And I think one of the second, the second step to being a real man is learning how to handle conflict. So I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to take a couple principles from here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more of you with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. How do you handle conflict as a man? Listen very closely. If you want to be a real man, you handle conflict one-on-one, man-to-man. That's what real men do. It says, if you, excuse me, if your brother sins, you could also read it. If you have something against your brother, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Let me tell you what people who aren't real men do. People who aren't real men discuss their problems with other people without talking to the person first. That's what a not real man does. If someone's not a real man, what do we call them? I was hoping you would say it so I didn't have to. You call them a coward. Anybody can say something behind somebody's back. A real man goes to the person they have an issue with and they look that person in the eye in love and they discuss the problem. Not behind closed doors with a bunch of other people. A real man doesn't go to a deacon and ask the deacon to talk to someone for them. Boy, where'd my amens go? Boy, they just left the room. They up and left. We need some ushers to lock the doors so that the amens can't leave. Listen, we have a church that is led by a pastor and we have deacons who are servants. Your deacons, as godly as they are and as great as they are, they do not work as a representative government, right? They're not your representatives, okay? They love you, they serve you, but they don't represent you when you have a problem with another group. If you have a problem with the WMU, where do you go? You go to the WMU and you talk about the problem. You don't go to your Sunday school and talk about a problem. You don't get on the phone You don't text. You don't do all that stuff. Real men. Real men settle conflict man to man. Not group to group. Now, what do you do if you go to that person who is in sin or that person who you disagree with? Now, if the person doesn't want to hear you or if you don't get the answer that you think, not the answer that you want, but you don't get what you think is a godly answer, then you bring one more person into it or two more people into it and you handle it again. It doesn't say you call three or four or five people and get advice. You don't call four or five people to pray for you. Handle it one-on-one. 
And if it's not settled, you get another godly person or two, and you go handle the problem. Conflict resolution amongst men has all but diminished in the church. And I think that's one of the things killing the American church. Is men not being men. And problems getting swept under the rug and swept under the rug and swept under the rug. If we're going to be men, we're going to disagree. We're not all the same. And so what we need to do as men is go to the person you have a problem with one-on-one and talk about it. And I think what you'll find is that if you will talk about the problem in its infancy stage, you don't have much of a problem at all if you'll go one-on-one. But when you talk to everyone else and you play the telephone game, you know, when you whisper something in somebody's ear and they whisper it in somebody else's ear, oh boy, pretty soon this thing's out of control. And it started off as something really, really frivolous. Anyways, real men know how to handle conflict and they They do it man to man. Women, same thing is true for you. If you have a problem with anyone in your life, you are to go to that person and talk to them. You're not to get with your buddies first or anything like that. You with me? That's how we handle conflict. Excuse me. That's how real men handle conflict. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're working our way through uh, about five points on how to be a real man. The last three all kind of deal with this verse in Ephesians. And they're all going to be geared more towards men than the other ones. But women, you're going to be able to glean some things from them. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Let me start in verse 25 and I'll read through verse 29. Ephesians 5 25. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, excuse me, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And so men, if you want to be a real man, if you're married, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. And Christ ended up dying for the church. And so men, you need to go to any extent necessary to make sure that your wife loves her above and beyond anything else that this world has to offer. Amen? That's what real men do. Real men take that woman of their youth and they hold on to her for the rest of her life. And they love her and they cherish her. And so men love your wives above and beyond anything except Christ because that's what you've been called to and love her to the point of death and if sometimes loving her is killing you Christ loving you killed him also and so when she seems unlovable you love her anyways and when she still seems unlovable you continue to love her even beyond that because chances are you aren't a bundle of joy always either. And it's her job to stick with you also. 
Okay? And so you stick with her through thick and thin till death do you part. And that proves you are a being, a real man. In line with loving your wife as Christ loved the church, men, you need to stick up for your wife. You need to know, or your wife needs to know, that when she gets neck deep in something, that you're going to be right there beside her, and you're not going to abandon her. She needs to know, if you're going to be a real man, that whatever she gets into, she will not be alone. Men, if you will not stick with your wife through thick and thin, if she feels alone, listen very closely, somebody else will step in and fill that gap. And you might not like how that works out. And it is your job to love her as Christ loved the church and to be there with her through thick and thin. And she should never feel lonely for a second if you're going to be a real man. And sometimes that means giving up some things that you may want to do so that she can have you by her side. Well, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Because authors are going to go on to say, or excuse me, Paul's going to go on to say, that you need to love your wife in verse 28 as your own body. Because he who loves his own wife loves himself. And so that means sometimes the best thing that you can do is forego pleasing yourself and please her instead. Regardless of what that means. Regardless of what she needs from you. Also, in line with this, in loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That one was easy. Sticking up for your wife. Sometimes, men, you need to rebuke your wife. Lock the door because the amens are gone. Sometimes, men, if you're going to lead and you're going to be a real man and you're going to lead well, you need to not let your wife run all over you. Where's the book on that, right? Did that make the New York Times bestseller list? Listen to this. If you went to most, now this is a statistical statement, so I have to be very careful. If you went to most churches, the godliest thing that a pastor could do I'm not talking about here. Listen to me. This is not here. This is a lot of churches. The godliest thing that a pastor could do would be to dissolve the WMU. You said, I love the WMU. It's been here for ages. Many churches do not have a godly WMU organization. I have been thoroughly impressed with ours and have not had one bad thing to say about our WMU. Everybody hearing that? Okay, good. There are WMU organizations out there that exist for the purpose of running the church. And you say, I don't think that's true. Look at some of the literature that the WMU produces. When the Women's Missionary Union is giving out sermon outlines for the pastor to preach, that's a very dangerous place to be in because that means that a group of ladies have gotten together to tell the pastor what he should be preaching and where he should be leading. And so somewhere down the line, there's a man married to a woman who should have told his wife, let's hang on here. Let's not go that route in telling our shepherd where he should lead us. Everybody hear where this is going? Churches are being overrun with ladies who have passive husbands, who are not real men, and will not tell their ladies to hang on, follow me. Instead, they're doing whatever they want to do during the week, and their ladies are handling church. 
And those churches need to die because they are not godly organizations anymore. You think, boy, you're working your way towards uh, needing to make a new resume. It's all here. It's all here. Listen, men were created to lead. Men were created to lead the church. Men were created to lead their wives. And when men stop leading, it always runs things into the ground. Now, hear me, hear me now. There are ladies in the WMU who are way better administrators than I am. There are ladies in WMU organizations whose leadership qualities far excel past mine. And they would probably do a much, much better job as a pastor, but God didn't call them to it. He called men to it. And so just because you can do a better job at something doesn't mean that God has called you to do that better job at something. There are qualifications for some of these jobs. And just because you are better at some of the qualifications doesn't mean that you're better at all of them. Amen? None. Okay, good. But listen, this is a huge problem facing the American church. And it all started with the feminism movement. Excuse me. Back in the 80s. And it bled over into the church. And listen... If you want our church to look like the society around you, look where society's going. And that is not what we want to be as a church. And that's not where we're headed as a church. And so men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Even when she seems unlovable, you love her anyways. Because chances are, you're a lot more unlovable than she is. You need to stick up for your wife. And you need to be there with her. And sometimes you also need to be there with her to slow her down and say, well, let's not do that. Let's not go that far. Easy now. Okay? You need to, if you want to be a real man, and this is the last point. If you want to be a real man, you need to not be addicted to pornography. Pornography is another sin that is crippling our church. If men would stand up and lead... And women would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And men would get their noses out of pornography. I think you would see widespread revival in America. And so let me encourage you here. If you're here and you want to be a real man, if you have any pornography in your life, anything that is immoral or impure, let today be the day that you throw it out or you burn it. Or maybe it's electronic, and maybe you get rid of that smartphone, and maybe you install some sort of accountability software on your computer if you have to use one. Because you are never going to be the man that God has called you to be with that sort of impurity in your life, because that sort of sin eats you alive. And if you're here and you struggle with that sort of thing, Find somebody to hold you accountable because I believe that that sort of sin is just as addictive as any sort of heroin and any sort of cocaine that's out there. It gets into your mind and it eats you alive. And so let today be the day that you get set free from all of that. Take a stand and get rid of it all. Take steps towards correcting the problem. I have seen over and over and over again, marriages ruined by that sin. And it's not just the men that are involved in it this day and age. 
It's women also. And that's not a real popular thing to talk about either. But we cannot be the people that God has called us to be if we have that sort of impurity in our life because it is not Christ-like at all. You see, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you are to treat others the way that they want to be, excuse me, the way that you want to be treated. And so when you, when you observe those images or when you look at someone who may be married, who maybe is, uh, is somewhat dressed in a provocative manner, or maybe you catch a peek at something that you shouldn't be able to see, you are stealing images that only belong to that individual's husband or wife. And you need to, you need to be concerned with those people that you may be looking at images of, and you need to want them to be fully devoted to the spouse that either they have or the spouse that they're going to have. Because one day all those pretty young single ladies are going to have husbands, and one day they're going to be mothers, and you don't need to be stealing those looks that only belong to that woman's future husband. Amen? We got a few more amens, but boy, they were waning after the first few points. Brothers and sisters, brothers especially, if we want to be real men, it is not going to be easy. It is not easy to set your eyes on Christ and run the race. It's not easy to stop making excuses and to put aside all of your sin. It's not easy to handle conflict because sometimes it's easier to ignore it. But we as men cannot ignore it. It's not easy to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. But if we want to be real men, these are the things that we have to do in order for Christ's name to be great on this whole earth. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you especially for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there are any men here who are lacking in any of those points that I made, Father, I pray that today would be the day that they and I step up to the plate and take steps to become a better man. Father, I pray that you would use the men in our church to start revival all over this town. And Father, I pray that you would use our ladies in a mighty way. Father, I pray that they would never hear me say that they are invaluable, but I pray that they would always know that they are a treasure that our church holds. And they have a very specific role to fill. And so I pray that as we love them like Christ loved the church, I pray that they would love us and support us in the endeavors that we undertake. Father, help our men to step up to the plate and to get into the game and to get off the sidelines. And I pray that today would be the day that we do all of those things. Father, lastly, if there's any man who struggles with uh, any sort of pornographic addiction, I pray that today would be the day that you set them free. Father, if there's any woman who has the same problem, I pray that today would be the day that you set them free also. Father, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us to worship you with the things that we put our eyes on. And Father, we ask all of these things dependent upon your Holy Spirit. In the name which is above every other name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. Well, it was a joy to be with you guys today. I hope you can say the same for me. I uh, love you guys and treasure you all and uh, thank the world of you. Again, thank you for uh, being there for me and my family during this uh, tough time.
And uh, we counted a joy to be able to be there with you also. Um, I want to welcome Letha back. Letha has been through uh, thick and thin health-wise. She went out of town for a little while and stayed a long time. And so uh, if you get a chance, welcome her back. And as we close, don't forget if you're on the Children's Committee, you've got a meeting following the service. And Ed, if you would close us in prayer wherever you are.